Chapter Nine of Marcia Schuyler by Grace Livingston Hill. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Nine. The morning sunbeams fell across the floor when Marcia awoke suddenly to a sense of her new surroundings. For a moment, she could not think where she was nor how she came there. She looked about the unfamiliar walls covered with paper decorated in landscapes. A hill in the distance, with a tall castle among the trees, a blue lake in the foreground, and two maidens sitting pensively upon a green bank with their arms about one another. Marcia liked it. She felt there was a story in it. She would like to imagine about the lives of those two girls when she had more time. There were no pictures in the room to mar those upon the paper, but the walls did not look bare. Everything was new and stiff and needed a woman's hand to bring the little homey touches, but the newness was a delight to the girl. It was as good as the time when she was a little girl and played house with Mary Ann down on the old flat stone in the pasture with acorns for cups and saucers and bits of broken china carefully treasured upon the mossy shelves in among the roots of the old elm tree that arched over the stone. She was stiff from the long ride, but her sleep had wonderfully refreshed her, and now she was ready to go to work. She wondered as she rose how she got upon that bed, how the blue bonnet got untied and laid across the chair beside her. Surely she could not have done it herself and have no memory of it. Had she walked upstairs herself, or did someone carry her? Did David, perhaps? Good, kind David! A bird hopped upon the window seat and trilled a song, perked his head knowingly at her, and flitted away. Marcia went to the window to look after him, and was held by the new sights that met her gaze. She could catch glimpses of houses through bowers of vines, and smoke rising from chimneys. She wondered who lived near, and if there were girls who would prove pleasant companions. Then she suddenly remembered that she was a girl no longer, and must associate with married women hereafter. Then suddenly the clock on the church steeple across the way warned her that it was late, and with a sense of deserving reprimand she hurried downstairs. The fire was already lighted, and David had brought in fresh water. So much his intuition had told him was necessary. He had been brought up by three maiden aunts, who thought that a man in the kitchen was out of his sphere, so the kitchen was an unknown quantity to him. Marcia entered the room as if she were not quite certain of her welcome. She was coming into a kingdom she only half understood. Good morning, she said shyly, and a lovely color stole into her cheeks. Once more David's conscience smote him as her waking beauty intensified the impression made the night before. Good morning, he said gravely studying her face as he might have studied some poor waif whom he had unknowingly run over in the night and picked up to resuscitate. Are you rested? You were very tired last night. What a baby I was, said Marcia deprecatingly, with a soft little gurgle of a laugh like a merry brook. David was amazed to find she had two dimples located about as Kate's were, only deeper and more gentle in their expression. Did I sleep all the afternoon after we left the canal? And did you have hard work to get me into the house and upstairs? You slept most soundly, said David, smiling in spite of his heavy heart. 
It seemed a pity to waken you, so I did the next best thing and put you to bed as well as I knew how. It was very good of you, said Marcia, coming over to him with her hands clasped earnestly, and I don't know how to thank you. There was something quaint and old-fashioned in her way of speaking, and it struck David pitifully that she should be thanking her husband, the man who had pledged himself to care for her all his life. It seemed that everywhere he turned, his conscience would be continually reproaching him. It was a dainty breakfast to which they presently sat down. There was plenty of bread and fresh butter just from the hands of the best butter maker in the county. The eggs had been laid the day before, and the bacon was browned just right. Marcia well knew how to make coffee. There was cream rich and yellow as ever came from the cows at home, and there were blackberries as large and fine every bit as those Marcia picked but a few days before for the purchase of her pink-sprigged chins. David watched her deft movements, and all at once keen smiting conscience came to remind him that Marcia was defrauded of all the loving interchange of mirth that would have been if Kate had been here. Also keener still, the thought that Kate had not wanted it, that she had preferred the love of another man to his, and that these joys had not been held in dear anticipation with her, as they had with him. He had been a fool. All these months of waiting for his marriage, he had thought that he and Kate held feelings in common, joys and hopes and tender thoughts of one another. And behold, he was having these feelings all to himself, fool and blind that he was. A bitter sigh came to his lips, and Marcia, eager in the excitement of getting her first breakfast upon her own responsibility, heard and forgot to smile over the completed work. She could hardly eat what she had prepared. Her heart felt David's sadness so keenly. Shyly she poured the amber coffee and passed it to David. She was pleased that he drank it eagerly and passed his cup back for more. He ate but little, but seemed to approve of all she had done. After breakfast, David went down to the office. He had told Marcia that he would step over and tell his aunts of their arrival, and they would probably come over in the course of the day to greet her. He would be back to dinner at twelve. He suggested that she spend her time in resting, as she must be weary yet. Then, hesitating, he went out and closed the door behind him. He waited again on the doorstone outside and opened the door to ask, You won't be lonesome, will you, child? He had the feeling of troubled responsibility upon him. Oh, no, said Marcia brightly, smiling back. She thought it so kind of him to take the trouble to think of her. She was quite anticipating a trip of investigation over her new domain, and the pleasure of feeling that she was mistress and might do as she pleased. Yet she stood by the window after he was gone, and watched his easy strides down the street with a feeling of mingled pride and disappointment. It was a very nice play she was going through, and David was handsome, and her young heart swelled with pride to belong to him, but after all there was something left out. A great lack, a great unknown longing, unsatisfied. What was it? What made it? Was it David's sorrow? She turned with a sigh as he disappeared around a curve in the sidewalk and was lost to view. Then, casting aside the troubles which were trying to settle upon her, 
she gave herself up to a morning of pure delight. She flew about the kitchen, putting things to rights, washing the delicate sprigged china with its lavender sprays and buff bands, and putting it tenderly upon the shelves behind the glass doors, shoving the table back against the wall demurely with dropped leaves. It did not take long. There was no need to worry about the dinner. There was a leg of lamb beautifully cooked, half a dozen pies, their flaky crusts bearing witness to the culinary skill of the ants, a fruit cake, a pound cake, a jar of delectable cookies, and another of fat sugary doughnuts, three loaves of bread, and a sheet of puffy rusks with their shining tops dusted with sugar. Besides, the preserve closet was rich in all kinds of preserves, jellies, and pickles. No, it would not take long to get dinner. It was into the great parlor that Marcia peeped first. It had been toward that room that her hopes and fears had turned while she washed the dishes. The Schuylers were one of the few families in those days that possessed a musical instrument, and it had been the delight of Marcia's heart. She seemed to have a natural talent for music, and many an hour she spent at the old spinet, drawing tender tones from the yellowed keys. The spinet had been in the family for a number of years, and very proud had the Schuyler girls been of it. Kate could rattle off gay waltzes and merry, rollicking tunes that fairly made the feet of the sedate village maidens flutter in time to their melody. But Marcia's music had always been more tender and spiritual. Dear old hymns she loved, and some of the old classics. Stupid old things without any tune, Kate called them, but Marcia persevered in playing them until she could bring out the beautiful passages in a way that at least satisfied herself. Her one great desire had been to take lessons of a real musician, and be able to play the wonderful things that the old masters had composed. It is true that very few of these had come in her way. One somewhat mutilated copy of Handel's Creation, a copy of Hayden's Messiah, and a few fragments of an old book of Bach's fugues and preludes. Many of these she could not play at all, but others she had managed to pick out. A visit from a cousin who lived in Boston, and told of the concerts given there by the Handel and Hayden Society, had served to strengthen her deeper interest in music. The one question that had been going over in her mind ever since she awoke had been whether there was a musical instrument in the house. She felt that if there was not, she would miss the old spinet in her father's house more than any other thing about her childhood's home. So with fear and trepidation she entered the darkened room where the careful ants had drawn the thick green shades. The furniture stood about in shadowed corners, and every footfall seemed a fearsome thing. Marcia's bright eyes hurried furtively about, noting the great glass knobs that held the lace curtains with heavy silk cords, the round mahogany table with its china vase of everlastings, the high, stiffed-backed chairs all decked in elaborate antimacassars of intricate pattern. Then, in the furthest corner, shrouded in dark coverings, she found what she was searching for. With a cry she sprang to it, touched its polished wood with gentle fingers, and lovingly felt for the keyboard. It was closed. Marcia pushed up the shade to see better, and opened the instrument cautiously. It was a piano forte of the latest pattern, and with exclamations of delight she sat down and began to strike chords, 
softly at first, as if half afraid, then more boldly. The tone was sweeter than the old spinet, or the harpsichord owned by Squire Hartrand. Marcia marveled at the volume of sound. It filled the room and seemed to echo through the empty halls. She played little soft airs from memory, and her soul was filled with joy. Now she knew she would never be lonely in the new life, for she would always have this wonderful instrument to flee to when she felt homesick. Across the hall were two square rooms, the front one furnished as a library. Here were rows of books behind glass doors. Marcia looked at them with awe. Might she read them all? She resolved to cultivate her mind that she might be a fit companion for David. She knew he was wise beyond his years, for she had heard her father say so. She went nearer and scanned the titles, and at once there looked out to her from the rows of bindings a few familiar faces of books she had read and re-read. Thaddeus of Warsaw, The Scottish Chiefs, Mysteries of Udolpho, Romance of the Forest, Baker's Livy, Rollins' History, Pilgrim's Progress, and a whole row of Sir Walter Scott's novels. She caught her breath with delight. What pleasure was opening before her, all of Scott, and she had read but one. It was with difficulty she tore herself away from the tempting shelves and went on to the rest of the house. Back of David's library was a sunny sitting-room, or breakfast-room, or dining-room as it would be called at the present time. In Marcia's time, the family ate most of their meals in one end of the large bright kitchen, that end furnished with a comfortable lounge, a few bookshelves, a thick ingrain carpet, and a blooming geranium in the wide window-seat. But there was always the other room for company, for high days and holidays. Out of this morning room the pantry opened with its spicy odors of preserves and fruit cake. Marcia looked about her well pleased. The house itself was a part of David's inheritance, his mother's family homestead. Things were all on a grand scale for a bride. Most brides begin in a very simple way and climbed up year by year. How Kate would have liked it all! David must have had in mind her fastidious tastes, and spent a great deal of money in trying to please her. That piano must have been very expensive. Once more, Marcia felt how David had loved Kate, and a pang went through her as she wondered however he was to live without her. Her young soul had not yet awakened to the question of how she was to live with him, while his heart went continually mourning for one who was lost to him forever. The rooms upstairs were all pleasant, spacious, and comfortably furnished. There was no suggestion of bareness or anything left unfinished. Much of the furniture was old, having belonged to David's mother, and was in a state of fine preservation, a possession of which to be justly proud. There were four rooms besides the one in which Marcia had slept, a front and back on the opposite side of the hall, a room just back of her own, and one at the end of the hall over the large kitchen. She entered them all and looked about. The three beside her own in the front part of the house were all large and airy, furnished with high four-posted bedsteads and pretty chintz hangings. Each was immaculate in its appointments. Cautiously she lifted the latch of the back room. David had not slept in any of the others, for the bed coverings and pillows were plump and undisturbed. 
Ah, it was here in the back room that he had carried his heavy heart, as far away from the rest of the house as possible. The bed was rumpled as if someone had thrown himself heavily down without stopping to undress. There was water in the washbowl, and a towel lay carelessly across a chair as if it had been hastily used. There was a newspaper on the bureau and a handkerchief on the floor. Marcia looked sadly about at these signs of occupancy, her eyes dwelling upon each detail. It was here that David had suffered, and her loving heart longed to help him in his suffering. But there was nothing in the room to keep her, and remembering the fire she had left upon the hearth, which must be almost spent and need replenishing by this time, she turned to go downstairs. Just at the door something caught her eye under the edge of the chintz valance round the bed. It was but the very tip of the corner of an old derogatype, but for some reason Marcia was moved to stoop and draw it from its concealment. Then she saw it was her sister's saucy, pretty face that laughed back at her in defiance from the picture. As if she had touched something red-hot, Marcia dropped it, and pushed it with her foot far back under the bed. Then shutting the door quickly, she went downstairs. Was it always to be thus? Would Kate ever blight all her joy from this time forth? End of chapter 9